Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Our reading today comes from John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, and our preacher is Pastor Matt Metavellis. Thanks for listening. God bless you. So for me, when I first was truly introduced to Jesus, I mean, not, maybe not introduced, but maybe when I was led a little deeper um, into faith more than just recognizing the stories and uh, doing what I needed to do to get confirmed to keep my parents happy, right? When I was truly introduced to Jesus, Jesus was kind of like this coach or maybe a motivational figure. So uh, many of you know, I, I, I talk about it quite a bit because it was uh, so important for my own spiritual formation. I went to a Jesuit high school uh, in Cleveland called St. Ignatius, and our motto was, um, though at seminary I was reminded this was not from the Jesuits, but Bonhoeffer, uh, to be men for others. And this was coupled with a, another motto uh, called, uh, from Latin, the magus which meant more. So often whenever somebody would complain, a teacher would just look at you square in the eye and go, magis, right? We expect you to do more, right? Because life is going to demand more out of you. And the ultimate goal and the ultimate purpose was to be a man for others, the kind of person who helped somebody out when they were in need. So whenever a kid would drop their book bag, there would be a swarm of people in the hallway. Always, It was like embarrassing how much people uh, tried to help you. And then uh, as we uh, got to school and came back, we got to college and came back and would talk about our experience, uh, we said, you know, it's funny. I was always the guy when somebody who had a little too much to drink, I was always the guy that either went to the ER or made sure they got back, right? We talked about these habits that were formed in us of self-sacrifice and of service to others. And I'll tell you something else. When you failed in those areas, you felt terrible. It still dogs me. Ministry was probably the last thing I should have gotten into with that mindset because I'm going, man, I should have called that family. Oh my gosh, a patient died and I wasn't there right before they died. Oh my gosh, right? The failure felt terrible because somehow you were not only letting down other people, you were also letting down Jesus, right? So um, I guess maybe because it was the 90s and those WWJD bracelets were the rage. I don't really see those anymore, right? What would Jesus do? Um, That was my first kind of deep spiritual experience with who Jesus was. Jesus was this person who gave his all for others. So if you are going to follow Jesus, you are, and we were taught to pray this, you are to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, and labor if not to, and not ask for reward. That's from the prayer of St. Ignatius. We said it every morning. It is etched into my brain, and I still do say it. But what this taught me about Jesus was that Jesus was somebody to be followed. 
an example to pattern my life after. And none of this was wrong. But man, those times in my life where I failed to live up to that, it caused me to feel such a great distance from God. And I, like many of my classmates, uh, ran the risk of turning my back on God altogether. And so whenever I hear the story of Peter, my heart goes out to him. If anybody wanted to play on Team Jesus, it was Peter. In all of the Gospels, Peter is depicted as the most motivated out of the disciples. He is the most willing spirit. Just in John's Gospel... There's a point where Jesus is teaching and he says, you know, you have to eat my body. You have to drink my blood if you really want to follow me. You have to trust me. I'm the one God has sent. And the crowd standing around went, wow, this is bat guano crazy. And they all they all walked away. And Peter is standing there, and I can just imagine with a smile on his face, and, and Jesus is like, wow, you guys are still here. And, and we sometimes say this in our liturgy, right? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And, and maybe the other disciples were standing around going, man, what a suck up. <laughs> Right. Peter is the ultimate ride or die for Jesus. And there's a moment where we learned about it and we heard this story last week where Peter is so ride or die that he says, Oh no, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. You are above me. You are the best. Let me serve you. And Jesus says, Well, if you don't let me do this, you don't have a part of me. And Peter says, Okay, well, wash my head and my hands also, right? And Pastor Jason gave us a little bit of foreshadowing as to what would happen. And now here we are, right? If anybody were to treat Jesus as a coach, it would have been Peter. If there's anyone who wanted to achieve, if there's anyone who wanted to make sacrifices for others, if there was anyone who cared about the future and the kingdom, it was Peter. And he finds himself in this space where the hour that Jesus has been talking about throughout the entire gospel, right? When Mary asks him to do something at the wedding at Cana, he says, my hour has not come. So you imagine if you were actually walking around with Jesus, he'd be talking about my hour, my hour, my hour. The hour is coming, the hour, right? And so you'd be hanging on like you're watching a show for a couple seasons and they keep pointing to some big climax. And it's like, here it is, right? You think Peter would want to stick around to see what would happen. And there he is, right? It's so funny. <laughs> Peter is being brought in kind of almost against his will, right? You can see Peter kind of skulking in the one courtyard in the temple. Uh, but then the disciple who has kind of some inside connections goes out and says, hey, come on, Peter, come on in. And they're all like, wait a minute. 
uh, how'd you get in? Do you, do, you, do you know the guy we just arrested? And he's like, oh, no. No, not me. I don't know him. Never heard of him. I just, you know, and then you, I, I read the story and I'm like, didn't anyone ask a follow-up question? And then like, what are you doing here at the temple at four in the morning if you don't know this guy? You know, anyway. Right, to be a fly on the wall back then. Right, but there's another moment that happens a little bit before in John that sheds some light on what's truly happening. So when Jesus gets together with the disciples to have their last meal together, Jesus says, my, my hour's almost here, and you guys can't come with me. Peter, true to form, says, well... I'm coming with you. I don't know about these guys, but I will lay my life down for you. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, you can't. Not, no you won't. Not, I know the future, and you're really kind of like all talk. Right? Here's what Jesus says. You can't. Go where I am going. Not now. And so Peter protests, and Jesus says, Look, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Right? What we might hear here is maybe Jesus knows the future and knows that, that Peter doesn't have it in him. But another way to understand this is that Jesus shuts the gate behind him when he walks to the cross. Peter has a fundamental misunderstanding because he is still treating Jesus like a coach, like a motivational speaker, and not a savior. Right? It's funny... That little exchange that we heard last week where Jesus wants to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, wash my hands and my heart also. Right? So, follow me here. Peter wants to walk where Jesus is going. But following Jesus is more than about what our feet, where our feet go and what our hands do. It's about where our heart is. Before Jesus died for Peter, his heart was not able. It was willing, but it was not able to follow. Jesus did not just want to be Peter's motivational coach, his favorite professor, his darling rabbi. Jesus wanted to be Peter's savior. And that meant dying for him. And when they are reunited just two chapters later, Jesus, in dramatic fashion, forgives Peter by giving him three chances to say not, I know you, but I love you. Right? 
New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham, formerly of St. Andrews, um, so, you know, they don't just hand that job out, puts it this way. Just as Peter does not understand that Jesus must wash his feet, so he does not understand that Jesus the Good Shepherd must lay his life down for him. Only after Jesus' death will he be able to follow Jesus to his death. So Peter's love for Jesus, though eager and extravagant, is expressed in ignorant self-confidence that ends in failure when he denies Jesus. It is after the resurrection that Jesus not merely restores Peter to discipleship, but enables Peter to become for the first time who understands what discipleship means for him and can at last truly follow Jesus to death. To this new Peter, who now loves Jesus as the good shepherd who has given his life for the sheep, can now be given the commission to follow Jesus as the chief under-shepherd of Jesus' sheep, who is to care for the sheep and following Jesus to give his own life for them. In this role, Peter's eagerness for service is redeemed, but his self-will is is replaced with true discipleship. I will translate that into unacademic and untheological English for you. It's only when Peter knows that Jesus has died for him that Peter is able to follow. It is only when Peter is redeemed, only when Peter is forgiven, only when Peter is made new in the embrace of the one who died for his sins that he is able to follow. And his feet and his hands and his heart and his words, all of those things which in Peter's hands ended in denial, broken and put back together on the cross, those things will be used to build a church. We're here because Jesus took a very explosive failure like Peter's and turned it into a triumph. Now I think this story of Peter's denial that's not hidden, right? The apologists or people that defend Christianity uh, when they're told well, the disciples made up all these stories. <laughs> they say, uh, well, if Peter was the chief of the disciples, why would he include a story where he looks like such a failure <laughs> and, and spread that around? I think what Peter uh, and the, what the disciples were doing in telling this story is sharing that it's okay when you slip up. Look at Peter, <laughs> Right? Right? I had heard this story preached, no joke, as, well, don't be like Peter. Don't talk the talk unless you can walk the walk. Right? And this is how I'm preaching this. We talk the talk because Jesus walked the walk. And Peter is using this to show people who are in this Christian community, which in the first couple of centuries and still today, by the way, is under persecution. If you've slipped up, if you were at a dinner party and maybe you didn't tell them you joined the church, if you were at a festival and you accidentally ate a piece of bratwurst that was sacrificed to Zeus, do not feel bad. Right? 
This is a community for the deniers, for the betrayers, for the ones who thought they were ride ride or die, but uh, were neither ride because they didn't want to die. Right? We can only be here, not because we've given our best for Jesus, but Jesus has given the absolute worst for us. Jesus to us is a savior and not a motivator. The uh, the world-renowned cellist, Yo-Yo Ma, I heard him on a podcast a couple months ago, and uh, he was talking with uh, a comedian who uh, was hosting the podcast, and they were talking about performing, and the comedian was talking about bombing and how hard it is, and Yo-Yo Ma said, oh man, I love to bomb. I love when I get out there and I'm playing, and then a string breaks. And then I stop, and everybody gasps. And I have to walk behind the stage and, and get a new string, and they, and they have to put it on. And, and I can hear all the uncomfortable talking and all these people that paid so much money to, to be there and to see me. And then I go out, and then as I start playing, every ear is listening. That's what's happening in heaven. Whenever you're that broken string and you got to go backstage, you got to get embraced by your Savior and get replaced. And everybody is listening, right? And that's the true message. That it's because of our failures, because of our doubts, because of all the ways that our strings break, break, whether it's from stress or whether we were playing it wrong or whatever it is. Whenever the strings break, we will be repaired. And Jesus is not stopped when we fail. Jesus continues despite our failures, right? There is nothing that can stop Jesus, right? Peter has all the good intentions in the world, but look at the power that Jesus has. Do you hear Caiaphas's little sermon, right? The, the high priest, the one who is, uh, and if you're in Bible study with me, you know I will always uh, defend the religious authorities, these people that are in between the Roman Empire and their own people and trying to preserve their faith and trying to preserve their way of life. One of the things that, that, uh, that, that they did in order to hedge was to say, okay, if people want to start trouble and cause riots, it, let's isolate the ringleaders and let's hand them over to the Romans to be killed because then it looks like, you know, we're cooperating, right? And so Caiaphas gave this <laughs> little sermon where he said, you know what? It's better for one person to die on behalf of the people, right? Meaning, well, it's better to grab one person and let them die than have, you know, the Roman army unleashed on us. But he was proclaiming Jesus, right? So neither... Jesus' enemies can stop Jesus. The cross cannot stop him. And we can't stop him either. That's what the cross means. 
that there is something relentless going on, and it is relentless in our own lives. When we screw up, right, I, 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 all the time, it's so hard because as a chaplain, my role is not to preach the gospel at people, which is why I need this. It's like exhaling. Maybe it's why I do it for so long. Right, But all the time I, I go, man, was that a way in where I could have told somebody about Jesus and I failed, right? All those little things or all the big things that my wife is shaking her head at the back going, man, I wish I wish my husband was at home, the guy I see up front on Sundays, right? All those big things where I fail for all of that, right? Jesus died and Jesus is relentless, And I have faith that Jesus is going to make something of my life just as Jesus makes something of yours. Man, there's so many people in this church I I have met who uh, I am a little humble at. Some of you know who you are uh, because your service, your faith um, in the midst of adversity and, and the way that you talk about Jesus or the way that you advocate for your neighbors, whatever it is. But then I get to know you and I hear some amazing thing that you've overcome Right? I hear about your broken string moments, and man, God is listening. I, I had a particular broken string moment uh, with uh, Nathan Adelson. They, uh, the, a lot of the leadership changed, and they restructured uh, leadership, and they, and they kind of merged some departments together, and uh, I, was, uh, I was actually okay with it because the workload was crushing me, but the loss of status still kind of stuck in my throat a little bit, becoming a lowly chaplain again. So uh, it was about two years ago, right before the pandemic shut everything down. And we have this big lunch, and we just had ours uh, last week. And they always ask me to give an invocation. And, uh, you know, I always go up after Dana Wagner from Channel 3, who always... (laughs) always tells the story of how I cared for his father. It's out there, so I hope I'm not in trouble. If he talks about it, I can too. And uh, so uh, it's this moment where kind of like all eyes are on me in healthcare in Nevada. And so I'm sitting there and, and, and you know, and, and there's a table with all the new administrators. And, right, I'm sitting there going like, I've got to be super good. Right, I've got to do super well, right? Because I'm actually, whenever it comes to writing or public speaking, I have an inferiority complex about it. But I go, I got to be super good. And so our theme was veterans. So I, I cobbled this thing together, and it was full of, I, I call it patriotic gore now, right? And it was this kind of like soaring victory at sea kind of rhetoric. And uh, I'm sitting there. And I'm saying hi to a lot of people I know and a lot of people I work with. And I'm sitting there and I see this other table. And it's a bunch of older guys, all in their service caps. Um, You know, some of them can barely lift their heads up. uh, And they're all sitting at this table. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Here I am, worried about what people are going to think about me using this opportunity to give an invocation uh, as a place for me to platform. And here are these guys there. So I, I want to be dramatic and say I ripped up what I wrote. I just didn't pay attention to it. And I got up there and uh, I talked from the heart. I said, look, I've cared for a lot of veterans. There's two things that we do to veterans that I know drives them crazy. One is what I was about to do, which is to treat them like these superheroes whose, uh, you know, whose blood, uh, you know, Trump mentioned this in his speech too, and it drove me nuts, right? Whose blood gave us our freedoms and whatever. 
Um, oh, no, he called the he called them the the their blood is the glory of the republic, which scared me. And not to get into politics, but I talked. I said I said basically don't do that. These people are human beings. And I said the other thing that we do that drives them crazy, especially in healthcare settings, is that we tend to treat them like these like fragile victims who all have PTSD and and you can't make loud noises around them. Don't do that either. These are human beings that did a job and that showed up. And our job is to be there, see how we can help, and shut up. So uh, it was kind of off the cuff. I was afraid. I was in trouble. And as I'm walking off to the side and leave, like I usually do because I have patience to see, one of those veterans in his service cap stood up, looked at me, put his head down like that, and then sat right back down. It's the biggest compliment I ever got in my life. And so I tell that story to tell you that whenever you look at the cross, what you're looking at is not a motivational speech. You are looking at Jesus' service cap. You are looking at everything that Jesus not only did for you, but is doing for you, is going to do for you, and would do for you again whenever you need it. That's the kind of Savior that we have. And there is no denial, even if it's as great as Peter's, that is greater than that affirmation. Amen.